Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. Wow, I love to hear you worship. It's so good. We love the people that are online. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being there. But let me invite you to the house. There is something about being in the house. We join together to worship, to hear your voices. Thrills my soul. We're glad you're here. And uh, about three weeks ago, well, three weeks ago, we started looking at uh, the book of Habakkuk. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Habakkuk, uh, go to your index, and look for H. It'll be before Hosea. Habakkuk. Uh, reason we've been looking at this because we're living in a day where it seems like everything is upside down, right? Wrong has become right, right has become wrong, and good is spoken of as evil, and evil is talked about as good, and sometimes we think we're the only people that's ever experienced anything like this. I got news for you. This is not new to God. It's not new to God's people, so it shouldn't take us unaware. How do you live? How do you trust God in uncertain times? So we've been looking at the book of Habakkuk, and we've looked at the whole book. There's just three chapters. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and today, chapter 3. Ta-da! Okay? Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk was a prophet of God during a time of global uncertainty, economic turmoil, and social instability. The people of God were in a mess. Babylon, the evil nation, was looming on the horizon, and it looked like God was silent and sitting on His hands. It looked like God wasn't anywhere to be found. So Habakkuk goes to God asking what's going on and why isn't He doing something. Habakkuk is frustrated and he goes to God with his complaint. And God answers him, but not as he expects. God says in chapter 1, he not only knows what's going on, but he's right in the middle of it. He is about to correct his own people. And he's going to do it with an enemy, a people who appear to be more wicked than his own. And Habakkuk is confused with that. God, why would you use an ungodly people to... Discipline of godly people. And so he climbs up on the watchtower and he waits for God to respond. And God responds with a revelation in chapter 2. And he tells him, Habakkuk, I want you to write it down. I want you to write it on tablets, and literally tablets of stone, because I want it to be plain, I want it to be public, and I want it to be permanent. This is a perpetual revelation. It's a revelation that is going to last forever. And that revelation is in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's on the screen here. It says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The Living Bible says, Note this, wicked men trust themselves alone, as these Chaldean or Babylonians do, and will fail. But the righteous man trusts in me and lives. The revelation... That's a perpetual revelation from beginning to end is this. The proud fall and fail. The righteous 
live by faith. The proud fall. God put within evil the seed of its own destruction. It's not going to work. Doesn't matter who else you're trusting in, if you're not trusting in God, it will come to nothing. But the righteous, the just, shall live. And then God goes on in chapter 2 to give a description of the fall of the Babylonians and the correction of His people and the ultimate victory. And Habakkuk in chapter 2 is given three assurances. The assurance of God's grace, where he says the righteous will live by his faith. The person who trusts and acts accordingly will really live. Not just survive, but thrive. God's purpose in his people will live on by God's covenant grace. He also was assured of God's glory. Verse Chapter 2, verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, right in the middle of all that seems to be going on and all that's going to happen, the whole earth is going to know that it's God and He's going to receive glory. And then the third assurance was God's government. In chapter 2, verse 20, it says, O God is in His holy temple. And let me just paraphrase it for you. Shut up. God is on the throne. Silence. And it brings us to chapter 3. So I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 1. How does Habakkuk respond to all of this? Verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, on Shiguyan. Shiguyan. Y'all all know what that means, don't you? Everybody knows what that means. In fact, let me just tell you, nobody knows what that means. The Hebrew scholars are all... They just say that meaning's unknown. But I want to read to you out of the Amplified Version. I call it the hard of hearing version. When you don't know what it is, this is the one to read. Amplified. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal music. In other words, Habakkuk gets this revelation and cuts a jig and writes a song. And he wants everybody else to do it too. In other words, this is a song he's writing down that generations to come will sing this song. Somebody said to me after the first service, we were waiting for you to cut a jig. You ain't going to find it in the second service either. (laughs) Habakkuk writes a song, a psalm, a triumphant prayer. Wait a minute, what's changed? The enemy's still coming. The people are still a mess. What's changed? The circumstances hadn't changed and the consequences haven't changed. What's changed? Habakkuk has changed. Remember that the book of Habakkuk started off in confusion. And now Habakkuk's ending in celebration. He started with complaining, and now he seems to have all this confidence. He started in fear, and now he's abounding in faith. He started worried, and now he's worshiping. What made the difference? 
I believe you have to go back to chapter 2, verse 20. The New King James says it this way, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before the Lord. Well, preacher, what do you mean you believe that? I believe that Habakkuk suddenly at the end of chapter 2 gets a glimpse of the Lord as He is. I feel like Habakkuk got what Isaiah got in Isaiah chapter 6 when it says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and everything changed. Habakkuk gets a glimpse not of the purposes of God but the God of purpose. Not of the plans of God but the God who made the plans. He gets a glimpse of God in all of His glory and he begins to write it. He writes it into a song and it's amazing to me. Verse 2, O Lord, and he used the covenant name of God, Yahweh. O Yahweh, I've heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Literally, Yahweh, I've heard the hearing of you. In other words, I got it. And now he says, I'm afraid. That word for afraid means to be in awe. He is literally taken in awe. The message says he stopped in his tracks, fell down on his knees, and it was the idea of a posture of worship, adoration, and awe, a humble surprise, and a godly respect. And then he says, revive your work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make it known. The word revive is the verb kaya. It means to live or give life or to restore life. Now, when we think of revival, we think of evangelism, people getting saved and changing a church or changing a community, a renewal of faith. But the word revive here means, God, keep your work alive. What work? Habakkuk 1.5 says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Well, what's that work? It's not a new work. It's the same work God's always been doing. It's a work of salvation. It's a work of deliverance. It's a work of rescue. It's a work of restoration. God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to do a work in your day. He could say to us, America... I'm going to do a work in your day that if you, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. It's the work of salvation. It's a work of restoration. It's a work of rescue. And Habakkuk gets it. He says, Lord, what you're doing, keep doing it, and may it be successful. You see, what Habakkuk started... He thought that the enemy was coming to destroy. Was this thing going to last? Is this going to be finally the end of your people? Is it going to take us all out? There's an enemy that nobody can stand up to and they're headed our way. They're going to take your people captive. They're going to take your land. But to God, all of this was a work of discipline and correction, a work that was about to save, to accomplish His purpose in the earth. And when Habakkuk sees that, he says, Oh Lord, keep it alive. Do it. It wasn't because he saw the work as much as he saw the Lord. Because Habakkuk didn't 
stop there. He prayed also in wrath, remember mercy. Now, wrath is the Hebrew word rogez. It means in this troubling, in this shaking, in this commotion, in this coming shaking of your people, remember mercy. And mercy is raham. It means to look on with affection, compassion, or love. You see, Habakkuk, when he saw the Lord, he didn't just see the Lord as he was. He saw the Lord and knew how he had been. He saw what he had done. He saw what how he had loved, how he had called out a people unto himself. And suddenly he realizes, God, in the midst of your discipline, remember your love. Remember your affection for your people. Remember us, Lord. Remember mercy. Mercy and In other words, Habakkuk knew God had every reason to correct His people. But what he said is, in the midst of the shaking, God, remember your great compassion. Now Habakkuk, in verses 3 through 15, begins to sing the song, sing his prayer. And and remember, it's to be lively and enthusiastic and wild. Why? Because he sees God in a way, it's kind of like... You've been talking on the cell phone. You've been having a dialogue with the other person on the other end. That's what Habakkuk... Habakkuk's different from any other prophecy because the man is in a dialogue with God. He's not giving a word to the people. He's in a dialogue with God. So he's talking on the cell phone to his God. God's talking to him, and all of a sudden, God goes from dialogue to FaceTime. And now, suddenly, he sees God... As he is. And he sees him coming in three ways. First of all, in verse 3, he sees him coming in splendor. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. In other words, stop and think about this. Now, Taman and the Mount Paran are old words for coming up from Egypt into the promised land. It wasn't the promised land yet. They were just now entering it. And there were old names. Remember how God came. He said, look at this, how God came. And then verse uh, 3... In the three, he says, His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. Verse 4, His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand, and there His power was hidden. And then he sees God standing in power, verses 6 and 7. I love how the message puts it. It says, He stops, He shakes the earth, He looks around, and nations tremble. The age-old mountains fall to pieces. Ancient hills collapse like a spent balloon. The paths God takes are older than the oldest mountains and hills. And I saw everyone worried. In a panic, old wilderness adversaries were terrified, hoping He wouldn't notice them. God comes in power and the earth shakes. And the nations hide. Have you ever wished that you could hide under a rock? That's what He's talking about. God shows up in His power. And then He sees God marching in victory in verses 8 through 15. But I want to especially point out verse 13 because it has a special word in it. You went forth for the salvation of your people. Remember what the work is? The work is for salvation. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. The Hebrew word for anointed here is Messiah. With your Messiah. 
The Hebrew, the Greek word for anointed is Christ. In other words, could it be that Habakkuk gets a picture of not what God has done, not what he's doing, but what he's going to do? And as I saw that, I I began to wonder, okay, God, what is this saying? He said, you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation of the neck. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good vision, his splendor, his power, and his victory. In other words, he sees the Lord, the Holy One. He's too awesome to really view, but too powerful to miss. It made me stop and think, okay, God... And I began to look at it in all other translations. And so I said, did Habakkuk see the deliverance of the Hebrew children from Egypt? Or did Habakkuk see the defeat of the Babylonians? Or did Habakkuk see the coming of Christ? Or did, or did Habakkuk see the second coming of Christ? And the answer I came away, around, away with is yes. It's amazing to me. Some translation translates these Hebrew verbs as past tense. Some translate it as present tense. And some translate it as future tense. And the reality is, Habakkuk sees God as He was, as He is, and as He will be. Because God doesn't change. What He has been, He is. What He has been, what He is, He will be. The thing is, it's man who has the fickle changes. It's governments that change. It's people that change. God doesn't change. And He sees it. And I think... (laughs) I wish I had a way to express this. These verbs, they're past, they're present, and they're future. And I think it keys up in verse 6, chapter 3, in the last statement, His ways are everlasting. And the word everlasting there is olam. Olam. And here's the thing it says. It means perpetual, eternal, evermore. He got a glimpse of God in His glorious purpose. And all that what God had purposed and planned was going to come to pass. He's the faithful God who never changes. What He said will come to pass. What He promised was as sure as the person He saw. Because God's ways are the outflow of an unchanging character. And unless the eternal God Himself can undergo change, His ways, are, which are Himself in action must remain forever the same. In other words, what God did in the garden, He'll do in the resurrection. He hasn't changed. How He loves in the beginning, He loves in the end. How He redeems in the middle of it is how He's going to redeem in everything. It's not... You don't have nothing to do with it except to participate. What God has done, how God has done it, He will do. He'll do it always. What that says to me, 
when I look around me and everything looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket? I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it that way. Is there a better way? And you think, God, where are you? God, what's going on? Why don't you act? Why don't you deliver? Why don't you change this? And what Habakkuk saw is, I am that I am. Just hang on to me. Hang on to me. The proud are going to fall. Those who are right with me by their own faith and their faithfulness will live. Really live. And Habakkuk sees it. And look at verse 15, 16, excuse me. He said, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me. Maybe because he's cutting a jig. My way gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. And then he says this, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. In other words, Habakkuk gets a picture of who God really is, and he falls to his face. And listen to what he says. I'm going to quietly wait. I'm going to shut up. Now, he doesn't say the circumstances are going to change. He says, I'm going to watch. Because he knows that God is in the midst of the circumstances and the good purposes of God are going to be accomplished for God's glory and the good of his people and for his purposes. And then he makes a statement that may be one of the best statements of faith that you'll find in Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, he says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, though everything may go wrong, and there may be no resource or no way out, I, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. There's that word again. Now let's just stop and be honest. If Habakkuk had been looking, had been depending on his feelings, he would have never said this. If he had been looking around him, he would have been devastated. If he had looked within himself, he saw nothing that could change it. But when he looked up by faith, he saw God and all of his fears were turned to awe and faith. So Lord, if things don't work out like I thought, they don't go as I planned, in fact, if it turns out worse than I can imagine, I will rejoice. I will worship and take delight in the God of my deliverance, of my salvation. Do you know what the Hebrew word for salvation is? It's the masculine noun, yesha. It's the found, the root word, we get the word yeshua from. Yeshua is the Hebrew name of Jesus. I will rejoice in the God of my 
deliverance, my Jesus, my salvation. And then he says this, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on the high hills. In the message, I love it. It says, Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. Why could he feel that way? Because he had seen God, the faithful God who wasn't going to change. What he had began what he was doing, what he was going to finish was all true. Do you see God that way? Do you really see him that way? Do you know his grace? You know he's always good. Do you know that? Do you know that he's, he's always glorious and that he really is in charge? Do you really know that you don't control anything? If you look at what's going on, you have every reason to be afraid. If you look within you, you don't have the resources to change a thing. The only hope is to look up. God has already provided a way through. His name is Jesus, your deliverer. You want to live, really live, look to Jesus. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13, He says, Because of lawlessness... Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. The message says it this way, For many others, the overwhelming spread of evil will do them in. Nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. Verse 13, Staying with it, that's what God requires. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry and you'll be saved. There's only one safe place in this world, and that's fully trusting in the Lord Jesus. I know many of you can say this morning, many of you would say, well, I trust Him. He's my Savior. I, I mean, when I was nine years old, I trusted Jesus. I was baptized, and, and, and I'm, I know, I just, I, yeah, I trust Him. Here's my question. Are you trusting Him today? To the point that you could say with Habakkuk, if things don't work out like I thought, if things don't go as I planned, in fact, if it turns out worse than I can imagine, I believe and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will worship and take delight in Jesus Christ. He's my rock. He's my Savior. We need a revival. Amen? America needs revival. The world needs a revival. How can that happen? I read of the British evangelist Gypsy Smith. I love to, to read about the old revivalist. And one time he was asked, how do you start a revival? And Gypsy Smith said, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around you. And then you pray and you ask God, Lord, start a revival in the middle of this circle. Lord, let it begin here. And he says, and when revival starts here, revival has begun.
If you need a piece of chalk, call me. Somebody help me up. It's time we get a glimpse of God as He is and stop letting everybody else tell us what God's up to. It's time we see Him glorious in splendor, thankful. He will do what He said. What He's done, He will do. And here's what He says, Come unto Me. And I will give you rest, peace, joy, patience, goodness, mercy, kindness, self-control. Come. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I come to you asking you, show us who you are. Show us that the righteous truly will live, live, really live by their faith and their faithfulness. Lord, I'm asking you to give each individual here an encounter, a revelation, a demonstration of your splendor, of your power, and of your glory and your rule. Encourage and strengthen us. Let revival begin in me. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That was a good word. Amen. Well, it probably had a different reaction on me than it did on you. It made me want to preach next week's sermon. <laughs> But I'll, I'll spare you. I'll wait till next week. <laughs> well, we have a couple of announcements. The first one is this note. I know y'all probably can't see it, but y'all can come around after uh, after we close. It's a thank you note written from our children and youth, and they wanted to thank you for I think it was about 20 years of stacking chairs uh, after after the service. And so, if you ever stacked a chair uh, for us after this service, we want to thank you. And as we announced last week, we don't have to do it anymore. Praise the Lord. And they also wanted to thank you. So, again, if you ever did that, I'm going to set this down here on the stage, but come get a, a pack of gum uh, as their thank you. Uh, I was thinking 20 years of free labor for a pack of gum. I think we got a pretty good deal. So help yourself after we close. Just a couple more announcements. Uh, middle school and high school youth tonight in the new building. Uh, men's breakfast this Saturday at 8 a.m. If you've never joined us uh, for that, men, we would love for you to come join us. It's 8 a.m. in our fellowship hall. Uh, many don't realize, but we do have another parking lot over here. Those are the doors that are open. Uh, so we would love for you to join us 8 a.m. this coming Saturday. Uh, and then I have a public service announcement. This is for all of you men to keep you out of trouble. In case you didn't know, next Sunday is Mother's Day. So don't forget, I saw, I literally, I saw guys in the first service taking out papers and, and writing down. So I'm telling you, uh, and ladies, please forgive them if they still forget, because I guarantee you somebody will. <laughs> and then last uh, but not least, uh, 
if you were here with us last week, you know that we had a guest uh, speaker, an artist join us. Uh, Phil Joel came and performed and shared his testimony. It was fantastic. Um, he sold out of pretty much everything that he brought. Um, and so I asked him if he would send us some more books. And he was uh, nice enough to also autograph those. So we have a stack of those out in the foyer. If you wanted one of those but weren't able to purchase one, you can do that this morning. Uh, and you could just drop uh, $15 in the offering plate. But if you don't have $15, uh, take it as our gift to you. Uh, and just a reminder that you can always uh, worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings with the boxes in the back and in the foyer. Uh, and also we always have communion available at the sides of the stage and in the back. So you can also worship the Lord with communion every week. And we share it together congreg- congregationally on the third Sunday. If you'll bow with me, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for uh, the privilege and the blessing of being able to come into the house of the Lord and sing our praises to you together uh, as a group and body of believers in Jesus Christ. Lord, and we thank you that we uh, were able to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed. Father, and I just pray that you open our hearts and open our eyes. And as Pastor Darrell closed with, and it's my prayer, Lord, that you would start uh, revival in me in each one of us, Father, and that we would take that revival out uh, into our community and everywhere we go. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 